Hi, I'm referee Mark Fralick. Thanks for joining me today for episode 24 of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fralick podcast. I'm extremely excited to have April Largent as my guest today, a high school basketball official for 20 years. She is a resident of Olmstead Falls near Cleveland as a member of the Lake Erie Basketball Officials Association. She was to have worked her fourth Ohio High School Athletic Association State Final Four Basketball Championship game this past season. However, that was canceled due to the coronavirus. As mentioned toward the end of this podcast, when I made the initial list of officials that I wanted to have on this podcast, she was one of those at the top of the list. Not only is she a rock-solid basketball official, as evident by her tournament success, but what is really intriguing to me is that she's also the nurse manager in the trauma unit at Cleveland's Metro Health Medical Center. In other words, in the last year, she has been on the front line of the coronavirus pandemic. She's had the, the normal daily experience in a level one trauma center and has had to experience the mental and physical aspects on a daily basis. Along with talking about basketball officiating throughout this podcast, we talk with April about her professional experience as a nurse manager during this pandemic over the last year and how that's impacted her life. And this podcast is possible because of the support from our major sponsor, PQ2 LLC, and its owner, fellow basketball official and friend, Matt Kearns. Please visit PQ-2.com and learn more about PQ2 LLC. And if you would like to become a segment sponsor of this podcast, please contact me at markfraley at hotmail.com. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button to this podcast. And once you do that, you'll be able to receive a notification on your phone so that you can receive an update on your device whenever a new episode appears. And feel free to go ahead and rate the podcast so I know how we're doing. And if you'd like to consider a special gift for this podcast, I would appreciate your support very much. Just go to anchor.fm backslash mark dash and click on the support button. You can make a one-time gift or you can utilize the various monthly options. And I thank you in advance for the gift. I'd like to thank Greg Austin, Brian Isaacson, Matt Kearns, Tim McLean, and Brett Green for their support. And now it's on to episode 24. Enjoy April Largent and enjoy the entire show. So last April... I was able to write an article uh, for the Ohio High School Athletic Association uh, about first responders, those who were uh, on the front lines in this coronavirus pandemic. And I wanted to read a few sentences from the first part of that, because I know a lot of people that are listening here haven't had a chance to read that. But it says, the new normal, three words often heard since the coronavirus pandemic arrived in the United States. And at this time, it had hospitalized 557,000 and killed more than 22,000. Look at the numbers now. It's just amazing. But those working the front lines, doctors, nurses, first responders, National Guard members, and many others are heralded as heroes, and rightfully so. 
Heroes, of course, sometimes lead double lives, and a number of these heroes are also high school basketball officials. These same people, who were, at times, called vulgar, hateful, and possibly even hurtful names throughout last winter, are now labeled as heroes in the eyes of the same people. One of those people, and the person that that article was about, is Northeast Ohio native and Olmstead Olmstead Falls resident, April Largent, and she joins me today on the podcast. April, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, you lead, uh, as we mentioned in our introduction, you have quite a job as the nurse manager in the trauma unit at Metro Health Medical Center in Cleveland. Uh, If I remember from us talking the last time, that's one of the busiest uh, hospital units, the busiest trauma unit in that area. Um, your life over the past year at the hospital has been unbelievable. So can, can you give us an idea of what kind of things you've been able, or you've been going through? To be honest, it's hard to believe that next month it's been a year that we've been going through what we have at the hospital. Um, I guess probably around state tournament time last year is when we stopped visitation and we first started dealing with COVID. So uh, no patients did not have visitors. Um, The patients that were with us were extremely sick. Um, And my staff, I have a staff of about 50 nurses. My staff and I, we were the ones that were there for those patients, trying to Zoom call their families. Um, There was like absolutely no visitors. And trauma season typically is from Memorial Day until Labor Day because the weather is really nice. So people are out boating and motorcycles and Typically, that's when you have a lot of shootings or stabbings. Um, But when the state finally did open up a little bit, I think it was Memorial Day weekend when the governor lifted some of the sanctions. I don't know if you heard, but there were all the riots in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very busy at our hospital. But I didn't anticipate, you know, law enforcement officials were hurt during the riots. So we had to care for them as well. And they weren't you know, incredibly, they weren't happy. I'm, not, I'm just going to put it that way, you know. So that was very challenging to have people who you respect or, you know, I'm for law, you know, obviously law enforcement officials. And they were just, in a, you know, very angry as well with the situation. And then they were hurt responding to the situation. And we were just left there to care for them. And they weren't allowed to have any of their family up there. Mm. So that kind of kicked off trauma season. So, I mean trauma season we had a record-breaking trauma season this last year for 2020 uh, record number of admissions um, which just brings a whole host you're only budgeted you know to have so many nurses for your floor and when you have to flex up and double up rooms you know trying to just accommodate and coordinate all that it, it is very challenging so you would anticipate that around after Labor Day around October we kind of slow down a little bit my nurses get a little you know kind of like a break and that is when the peak of COVID happened. So a funny story. It's not really funny. It is now that I look back. I don't know how I made it through. But one thing that refer, um, goes along with my officiating career is I got a phone call on a Friday, I don't know, sometime in October at 2 o'clock. And I was told to meet with um, upper, upper nursing leadership. And I was told at 2 that I needed to prepare my one side to be the COVID floor at seven o'clock that night. Wow. So I actually have 
right now I'm an interim manager too, but I have two trauma floors and there's an ortho floor. So I got the call at two that by seven, we needed to make it into a COVID floor. My first call was to my husband, Dan, and I told him, I need you to call Ken Rockhold right now because I have a scrimmage tomorrow and I cannot work this scrimmage. I, this is what I have to do. And I remember he said to me, why the heck would I call Ken? I said, just call Ken, tell him what's going on, tell him I can't do the scrimmage tomorrow, and he will know what to do. So my husband randomly, he, you know, he just he called Ken. And funny thing was, when Ken went to take me off the scrimmage, something happened in Arbiter. There was a glitch, and we had to re-enter all the games, and it affected a lot of people. And he never really stated that it was my fault or his fault, but – Looking back, it's kind of funny. It did create a lot of work for a lot of people, but I was very grateful because, you know, when you have five hours, it's we had to convert every room into an isolation room and put the proper equipment in there. And then I didn't feel it was right that my staff would come to work that night and not know what's going on. So I personally called every single staff member that was coming in that night to let them know what was going on, wow. which, as you can imagine, um, people yelled at me. People cried. People told me why they can't work because they had loved ones, you know, they couldn't come home to if they were on a COVID floor. It was emotionally draining. And it continued on Saturday. I continued to call everyone that was coming in that weekend and on Monday. And by the time it was said and done, I think I had made about 60 some phone calls. And then I finally got to talk to Ken and I, I just cried. I cried. I, I had just was everyone's emotional punching bag and I understood where they were coming from, but it's at some point you just, you need to cry yourself. So he, I think he was at his son's for dinner or or lunch, him and Jane were. And I I said, I don't mean to bother you, but I don't really know what else to do. And he just listened to me for like a half hour. I think he calls it my emotional breakdown, but (laughs) I just needed a moment because unless you're there on the front lines, I don't think you really understand, you know, what it's like and how stressful it is. And as the manager of all these people, you know, you just have to be there to listen and let people feel what they're feeling. And, you know, not to mention many people around us don't believe that there is a pandemic and they're not wearing masks. And, you know, there were people next to my office in those rooms, we transferred them to the ICU and they died. Like I see it. It is real just because it hasn't affected you. It is real. So It was very busy. Um, I can say that our hospital actually did close one of the COVID floors a couple weeks ago. So we are seeing the numbers go down. Um, We, our hospital was the first, one of the first to get the vaccine. So I've received my two doses of the vaccine and it's been four weeks. So now I am 95% immune, Um, but I still wear my mask. I still do social distancing because I kind of just want things to get back to where it's a little less stressful. Yeah, and you've had to deal with this. Uh, I mean, this wasn't one one-time deal in October where you just had to deal with one simple thing that happened. You've had to deal with this since last year. Talk about the emotional impact of that, not just in October, but throughout really the last year. Mark, it is just emotionally draining because not only are you caring for these loved ones, when when COVID numbers were down a little bit in the summer, we did allow some restricted visitation for like two hours a day or whatever. But if you were a COVID patient, absolutely no visitors, unless you were at end of life to which then you were allowed to see your loved one, like through a glass. So 
you know, I was dealing with, you're dealing with my staff caught COVID, their loved ones caught it, they couldn't come visit their loved ones. Um, It's just really rough. And no one really understands it unless you've gone through it. And people say, oh, it's really not that bad. Well, maybe your symptoms weren't as bad as someone else's, but it is bad. We've seen people die. We've taken care of people that have died. And we're getting sick ourselves within our man, within my management group. There was only two of us that did not contract COVID me being one of those um, employees. So, you know, every time another manager was out sick, you had to cover their floor and make sure everything was going well. And it's just draining. I do feel that if I can get through what I've gone through the last year, I can do anything though. Yeah. No, no question about that. Um, Yeah. I just, um, I, I just can't emphasize enough when we talk about heroes, everything that you've you've done, um, I'm sure I speak for a lot of officials out there who say thank you, and we appreciate everything that you have done, you know, throughout your career, obviously, but really especially in this last year, and, and we hope that uh, the years to come are much, much better than what you've had to go through in the last year. Well, thank you. I hope so, too. Yeah. There, there is a light. You know, I think the other thing now with the vaccine, and I can speak for myself, I did get the, the Pfizer vaccine, and after the second dose, I did get very ill. Mm-hmm. So I think there is this, you know, people hear that and they don't want to get the vaccine, but I can tell you I would rather be ill with flu-like symptoms for 24 hours than go through what these people with COVID who yeah. end up going to the ICU and perishing, what they go through. Absolutely. It's definitely worth it. Absolutely. I, I agree 100% with you. Um, so as we talk about uh, this past year, and and uh, I, I kind of want to look back a little bit um, at your career, you know, 19 years, uh, was it 20 years, 19 years that you've been a basketball official, um, you were supposed to work your fourth state tournament game last year. Um, unfortunately, with COVID, you weren't able to do that. So talk a little bit about uh, how that felt and uh, maybe talk a little bit about some of your other state tournaments and some some of the experiences you've had there. Well, you know, uh, I was the crew chief last year, so we had all agreed to meet for the 11 o'clock game to sit and watch it as a crew. And uh, we didn't drive together because people were going with their families. Um, but as I was down, I, I don't know, it must have been like, 10 o'clock maybe you know Ken called and he said I don't know if we're going to have this game and I said well I'm already like an hour into my drive I'll just come down and if it doesn't happen we'll go get lunch or something you know I took the day off of work so for me because I've had the opportunity to work the tournament before I was disappointed but it wasn't the end of the world I saw the bigger picture mm-hmm. I felt bad for my partners it was both um, their first time working the women's side and you know it was at a different venue so I did feel bad for them and, and that, you know, that kind of stunk, but I just have a different perspective. I knew, like I said, the bigger picture, to be honest with you, when I went for my third trip down there, um, I could have retired after that game. It was awesome. Uh, it was a very, very close game. It went down to almost the last play before the game. All three of my kids and my husband and I got to go to center court and take a picture. Um, they still talk about it this day. Uh, one year, I think it was the first time I went down, my kids actually you walk through a tunnel at halftime and after the game, and my kids formed a little bridge, and I got to high-five them going into the tunnel, and they, I think they were like three and five, and they still talk about it to this day. So I have done more than I ever thought I would being an official. Yeah. When I first started out, all I wanted was one tournament game to be able to 
one tournament game and I've had the opportunity to go to States now three times. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very cool if you get the opportunity and I'm very grateful. Yeah. And those are great experiences. Uh, they'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. And, uh, you know, 20 years from now, you'll be able to look back and that'll be something that you get to talk about in family get togethers. Um, how are, how's the season going so far this year? You know, it's, it's kind of like my job, my job every day, (laughs) things are changing, you know, you'll get a game that's canceled, you'll get a game that's added, or you'll get a a different venue. One thing did happen this year that really bothered me. And I think it's because of my, you know, line of work, but so like our, I think our first game of the season and we showed up for the JV game and there was no JV game. And I was like, God, that's so weird. Like, you know, let's find out what happened because no one communicated to us that there was no game. So the principal of the school came up and he said, oh, there was an exposure on the JV team. So they're in quarantine. And I said, don't you think someone should have let the officials like made us aware? So we had the opportunity to decide if we wanted to work this game or not. Right. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you yeah, I think you have a point. Because mind you, when we walked in the gym, the JVs were just there, what, a day before Mm -hmm. the um, boys team was practicing. They were sitting in chairs that weren't like spread out. And I just thought like officials are the last ones to be thought of. Yeah. And it, and it was very disappointing, but I think it's because of what I do. My, my partner wasn't as upset as I was, but I just thought that we are the last people to be, to be thought of and considered. Yeah. That's very, very true again. And I, you know, with your experiences, I mean, who's going to argue with that quite honestly. I mean, you, you've been able to go through it and see, um, see it firsthand. And I think something like this, you just kind of scratch your head and think, Hmm. You know, that's something that we really ought to know. And uh, uh, but it's good to talk about. And that's that's why we're here. And uh, so we are going to take a break. We're going to go to the pregame right now. Uh, As officials that listen to this podcast know, we break this segments uh, up uh, the podcast up into several segments into the pregame to the first quarter, second quarter. We take a break for halftime. We come back for the third and fourth quarters. We go to the post game and then we have our five quick decisions. So right now, let's head to our pregame. And uh, but first, we're going to listen to Matt Kearns and talk a little bit about his company, PQ2 LLC. Hey, Ref! If your day job requires engineering thermoplastics, connect with PQ2 LLC and have a thorough candid and honest pregame discussion about your next injection molding, extrusion, or blow molded project. Make the right call to PQ2 LLC. That's www.pq-2.com. So we begin the pregame as we always do. We want to talk a little bit, April, about your journey into basketball officiating. So talk a little bit about that, if you would. I played basketball in high school. Um, I went to Berea High School. We went to, I think we were the first team to do this, make it to the Sweet 16. That's where I met my husband. He announced my basketball games. Um, I played in college, and when I graduated, someone just said, you know, would you be interested in doing this? It was a family friend. I never heard of it, never thought about it, but I said, you know, why not? Um, it was a good way for me to kind of stay involved in the game, to get some exercise, and really just to stay busy. I was planning my wedding to my husband, so I said, why not? Um, and I've kind of been involved ever since. I love it. Um, I'll never forget. I went to a scrimmage 
it was my first scrimmage and someone that my husband taught with was a referee. I had never met the man before, but he said, Oh, I'll help April at her first scrimmage. <laughs> and he ran up and down the court with me and said, okay, you need to blow this five, three seconds travel. And he would blow the whistle if I didn't. And it was the most helpful thing that I have ever encountered. It, it was awesome. And I think his name is Jeff Fields and I thank mm-hmm. him to this day. Well, that's great. That's somebody. And he wasn't officiating the scrimmage. He was just there to help you. Right. Correct. And he literally just ran up and down the court and told me what I should and should not be calling or what I should be looking at. It it was awesome. So do you remember your first game or your first varsity game? I I don't really remember it, to be honest with you. You know, um, Ken Rockhold, when you work his conference, he's obviously my mentor. He's my basketball dad, but you, he puts you on this plan. So, um, you're doing JV for two years and then he gradually gives you, you know, builds your schedule. I don't remember it. I wish I did. No, that's okay. I mean, you know, sometimes those things really stick out. Sometimes uh, the first games just kind of blow by because of all the things that we have going on. And uh, I think when you've been doing it for what, 19, 20 years, (laughs) there's other things in life that come up besides remembering what your first game was like. Uh, but I but I do think you'll have an answer for this. Um, tell us about some of the lessons that you learned in officiating early in your career that have impacted you. Let's see. Um, I've always learned to be honest, no matter what. Um, as you know, I've been an official for 20 years, but I've had to take years off with when I was pregnant, when I went to nursing school. And, you know, it would be very easy for me to like, lie and say, I need to get off of a game for this or for that. But I was always truthful. Um, that, that is a lesson I learned very early on. Um, I was raised, raised, but when I was coming through the ranks, you always stayed for the varsity game, at least through halftime. And if one of the assigners was there, you always stayed to the whole game and you just, you know, you asked questions, you were polite. Um, you always dressed up when you went to the games. Um, trying to think what else like stuff you would use in life you know you just I thought that assigners were looking they're looking for good humans and that's what how I always tried to carry myself and that's how I try to continue to carry myself to you know be a role model as a referee for other women for my children for my two girls that play um that to me that's the most important thing great answer just absolutely love that now talk a little bit about the pregame and how important the pregame is and maybe some of the things that you talk about in your pregame. Well, a pregame is everything. You know, you got you, especially if a lot of times I try, I try I don't get there as early as I would like to now with my job, but I hate coming in, you know, hot and having, you know, like to hurry up and get dressed. I kind of need to decompress from my day. I like to watch the JV officials if I can and, and just kind of take a take a deep breath before we, you know, before we get out there. Sometimes, especially this year, I've worked with people that I've never met, I've never heard of. Um, and it, you know, it's rare when you've been doing it 20 years, if you see a name or a partner that you don't know. So I, I kind of like to break the ice, tell them a little bit about myself. It's funny. Cause I'm an introvert. If you don't, if I don't know somebody, but when I'm, you know, the crew chief or in the basketball world, if I know you, I'm an extrovert, but I make everybody talk and, you know, we're going to, you know, the biggest piece of advice that I tell people in the pregame, because many of them, I've been around a while, so they know who I am, but I said, do not blindly trust me or anyone on this crew. Because, I mean, you may say, oh, that call was right in front of her. She had to have called, you know, not called it or called it 
I might have just missed it or not had a great angle. So I always say do not blindly trust anyone. Well, that's that's really good. And is there anything else in your pregame that uh, that you go over uh, before you go out? Uh, anything that uh, officials listening might think that they need to uh, to talk about in their pregames? I always talk about eye, eye contact. Mm-hmm. I never put the ball in play before I look at both of my partners. Um, I'm not really in a hurry to put the ball in play. I want to make sure we have 10 people. No one's at the table. No one's trying to get my attention. Um, we talk about if any of us have had any of the teams in the past, uh, what to expect. Does anybody have, you know, players that have certain tendencies? Um, and when they, when the game gets close, we talk about these things too, but in the pregame, it's really important to talk about what are we going to do on the last second shot? Um, if we have to give a technical, you know, how do people prefer to administer those? Some people like to talk to the coach. I personally like to get out of there and administer and administer the free throws, um, but everybody has their own preference. You know, we also talk about if there's any rule changes. Um, what do we want to do if there's a block or a charge in in you know a coverage area that two people can call it? Um, another thing is that like if the ball goes out of bounds and I knew I blew a call, I need my partner to come in and talk to me to tell me that so I can change it. So we talk about that in our pregame as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that is a pet peeve and it never used to be of mine is verticality. Yeah. I have a big daughter. She's 11 and she's taller than me. She's about 5'10". Oh, wow. And it drives me crazy when I go to her games and they call over the back just because she's tall. <laughs> so I wish I could go back and officiate some of these games where I had big, big girls in the post because I now get it having a daughter like that. So I always talk about over back and verticality. That is the end of our pregame. We are going to head to the first quarter. We'll be right back. Hey, ref, this is Matt Kearns with PQ2 LLC. Call me to discuss your next injection molded plastic resin buy. You'll realize it was a great call. We've been in the plastics business for over 40 years and are thrilled to work closely with world-class customers and best-in-class domestic and global suppliers. You can expect complete transparency through every step of your polymer sourcing process. This year marks my 34th year of officiating basketball in the state of Ohio, and I'm sending my best wishes to you for a safe, successful, and fun year on the hardwoods. Hey ref, click on www.pq-2.com. So we begin the first quarter, and the first quarter deals with coaches and communication. So, um, April, any specific encounters or examples with a coach that might help bring value to our audience? So in my 20 years of officiating, I've only had to call an assigner after one game, and it happened to be – it was funny because when I called the assigner, he said, what happened? Because <laughs> I've never called him after a game. It was Ken Rockhold. Um we were at a game and it was a coach. He had been around a long time and he had a temper, but I, I kind of, I had been doing this a while. So I knew him and I had a good rapport and I'm not quite sure what happened. He actually didn't like a call that I made and he started yelling at my partner. He ended up throwing a chair onto the, onto the court Wow! and it led to him getting ejected from the game. The athletic director was there. But when this happened, I was like at the other end of the court and he got in my partner's face. I'm talking, they were like nose to nose 
And I was like, oh, gosh, this is bad. This is bad. I'm a trauma nurse. So I ran (laughs) and I got in the middle and I just I said to the coach, I said his first name because I know him. I said, it's not worth it. Your kids are on the bench. Just calm down. Let's back away. And my my other the partner, I I won't say his name, but he is so awesome. He was so calm. He did not get upset at all. I wish I could be more like him. (laughs) He just very calmly let the coach vent, but I did have to get in the middle and that coach was ejected and I had to call Ken about that. Wow. Wow. You know, I I think we just, I just saw a video, I think in Indiana where a coach just threw a chair onto the, onto the uh, floor. It's uh, the Bobby Knight kind of thing, isn't it? It was. And, you know, I I had had that coach so many times. It was almost like I was watching him unravel in slow motion. And I, my heart, I just felt really bad for him because I'm sure it could happen to anybody, but yeah. it just happened at this game and his children were there. And oh God bless my partner. I can't believe how calm he was because if he would have even got excited the least bit, it definitely could have escalated. Not to make any fun of this at all but how far did the chair go (laughs) it went on the court but not far okay (laughs) so who have been some of the more memorable coaches that you've had to deal with not on a negative point that not at all but um, really mainly on a positive point but who have been some of the more memorable coaches and what made them memorable on the sidelines Well, my favorite coach was Bobby Eckert. He was from Manchester, um, Ohio, because he's my uncle. (laughs) And um, when I first started refereeing, he would do like maybe shootouts or something. And I remember spending the night at his house. And then when we go to the gym and I would ref like 10 games all day on Saturday. But then when we would go back and, you know, my aunt would cook for us. And so that was obviously very it was good experience for me to get and it was just awesome being with him because I knew nobody would yell at me this was like early in my career (laughs) um but my all-time favorite coach coaching is Andy Booth from Wadsworth okay um he is respectful he's friendly whether they win or lose he is a total class act um I don't really I try not to talk to too many coaches because I feel they'll turn on you as soon as the ball's thrown up but Mm -hmm. I've had Andy in many close games and he is the same no matter what. Um, I've seen how he's raised his daughter and how she played in school and how she's a positive role model now. And I guess, you know, having kids myself, that's what I, you know, I just think that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever had a coach come up to you prior to a game and just tell you some of the things that you're supposed to look for on the floor from the opposing team? Like uh, uh, they push a lot in the post or they flop a lot. And, And what do you tell the coach when that happens? So I'm going to be very honest with you. My other officiating friends call me Nurse Ratchet or Sergeant Largent. So (laughs) I always get that my first, like, I'm intimidating. So people do not really come up to me before the game. And I don't know if that's why or what, but I've never had a coach do that to me. (laughs) Well, I like those nicknames. Those are good. Do you like those those nicknames or not? You know what? I, I've learned to, you know, they mean them in good fun. They call me sure. Nurse Ratchet. I, I think maybe just because, you know, being an official, you are kind of viewed as being the enforcer. But I know it comes from a good place because <laughs> I have answered many calls, texts, and emails about everything ranging from what should they do about their blood pressure to should they ref now with COVID. So they do kind of call me for random medical questions sure. all the time. Yeah. You know, the game is full of technical fouls at times, so do you have any memorable tees that maybe you've distributed or been a part of that uh, may make 
a humorous story or an interesting story? To be honest, not really. Um, when I ejected that coach, I was probably the worst one I've ever had. I don't have that many this year. I, I did have one, and I like I, I think I told you when I talked to you earlier in the year, people are just very angry at times, yeah. you know. So the one that I had, I, I did feel bad, but it is what it is. Um, I try to go by answering questions and not statements with the coaches. Yep. So if they're not answering me a question and they're just venting, I try to get out of there. I I hear people yelling at me all day at work, so I just really <laughs> I kind of have a higher tolerance. Higher tolerance, you said? Kind of, because some of the stuff that the coaches say, I have been called everything all day during my 12 hours at work. So it's kind of got to be bad for me to even really acknowledge it. Yeah, and it seems like we hear more this year, uh, obviously because the the stands are uh, not as full as they have been in the past. But have you noticed that you hear a little bit more from either the fans or the coaches than you did in the past or not? You hear everything, yeah, everything this year. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the consensus from from everybody that I've talked to, anyways. And for those officials who haven't had high school basketball yet, uh, that, that are getting ready to be started, uh, I think in March, be ready for it because uh, you're going to hear the same things. That is the end of our first quarter. We're going to head to the second quarter. But Matt Kearns and PQ2 LLC would like to have you hear this. Hey, ref, objectivity, integrity, and experience, all hallmarks of a quality basketball official. At PQ2 LLC, we bring those traits and an unmatched passion for our customers' successful plastic application by being a one-stop shop for thermoplastic resins. Visit our website at www.pq-2.com. Real needs practical solutions, and exponential results. PQ2 LLC. Second quarter, we deal with players and communication. And I love talking about this because I think it's really important for the flow of the basketball game. So April, what can you say about working with the players? What's helped you the most in communicating with them? I mean, as with anything in life, communication, you know, is the key. You know, these we have to remember that these are kids. They're teenagers. So, you know, when they get upset, you know, sometimes you can talk them down. Um, I, I try to, you know, warn them, you know, three seconds or, you know, get your hands up or get out of the paint. I, I do try to definitely talk with the kids because they are kids. Um, and they're emotional. They want to win. Um, I, I can relate to that. I've been there. But you have to be someone that's willing to talk with them. When we used to have captain meetings, I would try to remember who my captain was. That way, if they were on the floor, you know, I would remind them like, Hey, I need your help. You were, you know, you were selected for this position for a reason. So can you help me out? Um, And that seems to work. It's a little harder this year because we don't know who the captains are. Um, But you have to be able as an official to talk to people and the players are one of the, you know, people you have to talk to. Yep. And while you're officiating, um, can you identify maybe some of the times, uh, the more common times when you're proactively officiating? In other words, using your voice to maintain that flow of the game. Definitely. You know, when I, when I'm on the baseline, I'm saying, get out of the paint in and out, you got to go in and out or, you know, the defender I'm saying straight up, go straight up, get your hands up. Um, 
same thing when you're when you're the trail too and you you know you have a defender playing on one of the guards you know get your hands up play with your feet move your feet um I don't talk a lot you know I'll tell them once or twice and then if I need to call a foul I will because I I don't want to talk the entire game Mm -hmm. but um you can give them a little bit they'll I you'll find out right away if they're going to listen to you or if they're not (laughs) and then you take appropriate action right and that brings me to the next point is is that how do you use that communication to handle the difficult player you know the one that that may hear what you're saying to them but also might complain a little bit more maybe pushes around a little bit oh gosh it's hard um I'll talk to you once or twice, but then if not, I'm, I'm just going to call the foul. I'm going to call the game. I'm going to, at the next time out, I'm going to tell my partners like, Hey, I've warned this player. They're giving me attitude or they don't want to listen. You know, can you keep your eyes on, keep, keep your eyes wherever this person is? Because if we don't, you know, catch this quickly, something is going to escalate and we're going to have problems later on. That is the end of our second quarter. We're going to head to a little break right now. And when we come back, We're going to head to the third and fourth quarters, followed by the postgame and the lighthearted five quick decisions. We'll be right back. Hey, ref, this is Matt Kearns, and I'm honored and proud that PQ2 LLC is sponsoring my very good friend and former co-official Mark Fralick and the High School Basketball Referee Podcast. I love plastics manufacturing and making things happen in the world of engineering, resin, distribution, and compounding. But come on, there's nothing like game night. A packed gym, the place is rocking, and we leave the floor knowing our crew gave the players and coaches our best, right? I truly hope you enjoy these podcasts, and thank you for your continued support of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast and PQ2 LLC. Tonight's tip, nobody came to see us officiate, so make sure the kids are the stars on game night. Welcome back for the third quarter. In the third quarter, we talk about officials, communications, crew dynamics. But before we get to the questions, Matt Kearns and PQ2 LLC want to tell you this. Hey, ref. Rule 1, Section A, Article 3, in the Project Management Rulebook says trusting your business partner gives you the best chance to launch your new plastics project application. Make PQ2 LLC part of your crew on your next thermoplastic resin application. Call 330-888-9448 and ask for our in-house basketball official and owner, Matt Kearns. The third quarter begins and we talk about officials and communications and crew dynamics. So talk a little bit, uh, April, about what officials can do to improve how they communicate with each other during the pregame, halftime, or even during timeouts. Well, with communication, you know, you need to be present. So when mm. it's when we're in the locker room at pregame or halftime, you know, no cell phones. Like, put your phone away. I mean, everyone has kids. Me, you know, I have them as well. But maybe check to make sure everything's fine. And then put your phone away. You know, you need to be there to listen to your partners. You need to have good eye contact. You know, when someone's speaking, look at them so that they know you're paying attention. 
So what advice would you have for the eager young officials moving from the lower levels to the varsity level? Definitely, definitely. You need to stay for the varsity games. Um, it, I can tell you this whole year, I think maybe I've had someone stay maybe once. Um, I would say in the last three years, maybe two or three times. Um, you know, you, you watch the crew. We Most of us don't care. We let you come in and listen to our pregame. We'll let you come in and listen to us at halftime. Um, when officials do stay till halftime, I, the first thing I ask them is, what did you see? And let's be, you know, be honest with me, because I want to know if you're paying attention, because I know I, nobody refs a perfect game, so you had to have seen something. And it just baffles me when we have assigners at the games and the JV officials don't stay. Like, that is your opportunity to meet the assigners, you know, get your name out there, ask if they need any help anywhere, ask them questions. It's, it's just not done like when I was coming up the ranks. That is just something, it was an unwritten rule that that's what you did. And it doesn't seem to be that way anymore so definitely definitely stay um it's good if you can ask you know try to find a mentor if you know anybody and see if that person can come to your game on the you know on an off night i know we're all very busy but typically if if someone knows that you want them to see them maybe they could talk to the assigner and say hey can you put me on the varsity game after so and so so i can watch them work and i would get there you know at the beginning of their game to watch them and to give them feedback what kind of things that uh, that do you see on the basketball floor from these officials um, that maybe impress you? Maybe it's maybe it's their mechanics or maybe it's their judgment. Uh, maybe it's all of the above. What kind of things that impress you about an up-and-coming official? So I always tell people, nobody knows it's your first year or it's a first game unless you tell them. So go out there with confidence. Even if you make the wrong call, sell it. Have strong mechanics because no one knows you're new. So no matter what kind of day you're having or how bad it is, you can always hustle, you can always get in position, and you can always have strong mechanics. And, I mean, other things we can teach you, you know, but that's stuff right out of the gate that you can do to make an impression on people and to work your way up the ranks. So this quarter is where we like to have our guests answer questions from other officials. So if you have a question for a future official, you can email me at markfralick at hotmail.com, and I'll include the question to a future official. In the meantime, here's one out of Indiana. It says, has anyone had an unsportsmanlike scoreboard operator in the game criticizing mostly every call? What have you done about it? So let me ask you that question. And uh, if you haven't, what would your answer be? Well, I did have one this year and it was a, it was a mother who was doing the book and she did not agree with a couple things that I had said. And I did actually stop the game and I told her that if she wanted to remain there, you know, that she needed to keep her comments to herself. (laughs) I obviously said it a little more professionally, but I was just, wasn't going to tolerate it. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're playing. I, I don't need to you know, worry about your comments or hearing you on top of everything else. So she actually was very receptive um, and she stopped. But like I said, I was professional in how I addressed it. Yeah, that's good. The, uh, we didn't hear the Sergeant Largent come out in there then, huh? Uh, no, but for those that have worked with me a couple times, they, they've seen it. <laughs> okay. Hey, that is the end of our third quarter. We're going to head to the fourth quarter. We'll be right back. Hey ref, the fourth quarter is crunch time. With the outcome of the game in the balance, 
a hoops official's greatest assets are experience, knowledge, and game management skills. And when that final buzzer sounds and we return to the locker room for our post-game debrief, we know we've done our best. When it comes to plastic resins, PQ2 LLC brings the same experience, knowledge, and management skills to every client engagement. Our observations are focused, our solutions are practical, and our results are exponential. Check us out at www.pq-2.com to learn how we've earned our stripes. Our fourth quarter begins and we have a variety of questions here. The first one is always the same, so we're going to go at it. The game's tied at 60. There's five seconds to go in the game. Team A has the ball out of bounds underneath their own basket and has called a timeout. April, what are you and your partners going to discuss during this timeout? Well, we are definitely all getting together and we're going to talk about the scenario and what could and what could not happen. Um, the biggest thing I'm going to tell them is we're going to make the last call of the game like we did the first call of the game. If we didn't call something in the first eight minutes, we're not going to call it now. We want to be consistent. Um, we're going to be talking about, you know, where are we in terms of fouls? Is, are they going to come out of the timeout and look to foul? If they are, we need to make sure we get the first one. Um, you know, typically with intentionals at the end of the game, you know, they try to go for the ball, but if it's a hard foul, we need to get that, but and we need to be aware of it and talk about it. Um, you know, we're talking about what do you think the other coach is going to call? Um, it's the last second shot. Who has it? Um, what, how are we going to, you know, follow that? We're going to talk about who, do, who do we think is going to get the ball? Whose hands is the ball going to be in? Um, and we're just going to go through every scenario, what it could and what it could not be so that we are prepared with whatever they come out with. Yeah. So intense situations like this uh, at the end of the game, what kind of habits do you use on the court to remain calm and focused during a potential tense situation like this? I always try to remember positive self-talk. Um, I don't want to think if I'm going to blow the call, if I'm not going to make the call, if, you know, I'll swallow my whistle per se, I'm going to think about, I'm going to call it the same way I have been. I'm going to get in the best angle. And if the ball is not near me, I'm going to try and help my partners out should they need it. But I need to stay positive and focus and just talk to myself internally while I'm getting ready for it. You know, this is, this might be a lengthy answer and that's okay if it is, but boy, in, in, look at officiating and what you do professionally uh, with your job. So how do you work that out and, and how has your professionalism uh, as, as a nurse helped you in your officiating and how has your, um, how have you improved yourself as a professional through officiating as well? Well, to be fun, not to be funny, but to be funny, my real job as a trauma nurse manager, it's like being a referee honest to God. Um, I'm constantly, you know, <laughs> mediating doctor issues, patient issues, family issues, staff issues. I am not even lying. I swear to God, a couple years ago, I brought in my whistle because everyone was fighting and I had had enough. Um, and they all thought it was like really funny, but I got my point across, like, like we need to knock it off and let's just get the job done because it is very, very, very stressful, you know, during trauma season. Um, but I'm just like a constant mediator, so that's kind of how I feel uh, when I go to a game, when I'm, if I'm working with someone who is short-tempered or, you know, maybe doesn't have as high of a tolerance at night, you know, I kind of need to mediate the situation, 
you know, because that's what I do. Um, I think in the job that I have now, it's very important to me to be a good role model. I have a lot of nurses that are very, you know, they're brand new nurses. They're young and they're up and coming. And I need to be a good role model. I need to have not a punitive environment when mistakes are made. You know, we, we talk, we'll huddle about what happened. How can we do it better? Um, but you know, I'm not going to write you up or you're not going to get in trouble. And the same thing is with officiating, you know, I'm now a veteran official per se. So when I work with newer people, if they think they blew a call or I might've done something a little bit differently, you know, let's talk about it. No one's in trouble. You know, this is a learning environment and I try to carry myself to be a role model for, you know, those younger officials too. What's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you on the floor? So last year, actually, um, it was the first tournament game of the year. It was in February before COVID really happened. I had come from work. I had a long, terrible day at work and I had a game and the team that was supposed to win, the underdog won the game. So I just wanted to get the heck out of that school because they didn't like us because their homeschool lost. So I put my work scrubs back on and I'm walking out with my partner. She was a female. And there's all these people around half court. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And someone points to me and they go, oh, you're a nurse. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to go home. So I go to the center court and there is a girl and she is passed out at center court. Um, I can tell she's breathing, but she's not responding to anything. So the trainer is there and I don't really know the trainer's jurisdiction or anything. I just know that I'm a trauma nurse. Mm -hmm. So. I told someone to get the AED because I wanted to put it on the player. Not that the trainer argued with me, but she was like, why would we do that? And I said, listen, if we're going to court, they're going to ask me, why did I not have an AED on this girl if one was available at the school? Mm -hmm. So I don't care if I need to use it or not, get the AED and put it on her, which we ended up doing. Um, And we were kind of in a rural area. So it took the ambulance like 15 minutes to show up. And, you know, as a nurse, I'm not allowed to leave until the next, um, till the next responder show arrives. Mm -hmm. So I just stayed with her. Um, she was kind of mumbling a little bit, but I could tell we didn't have to shock her, but her, her heart rhythm was going, it was becoming irregular. Mm. So I am not going to lie. I was so grateful when the ambulance came, when they finally showed up, I said, can I please go? And they Uh told me yes, because I think that work day started at about six 30 in the morning and I did not get home until 10 30. Oh my. Yeah, that's uh, that is a scary moment, and uh, that's where your your professionalism um, really paid off at, at the time you were there. So that's a good thing you were there. So as you look at your career right now, um, what are some of the games that you remember the most? Definitely my state tournament games. I mean, for the most part, they were all very competitive. Um, it's been nice to the very first tournament game I went to, you know, I, I was kind of the rookie with the least amount of experience. Um, and then the last year I went, I was the crew chief. So I got to be the leader on the team and really be a, be a role model for those that I was working with. Um, I created care packages for all, everyone that was on my crew with, oh, nice. you know, handwritten notes on them. I included my alternate in it because I wanted them to feel just as part of our team as, as the other two. Um, th- those by far have been my most memorable games. Yeah. That's a nice touch. I like that. Um, I do it every year, every tournament I go to, I always do something 
something like that for my crew. Yeah, that's something I hope a lot of officials can pull that out because that really is uh, that shows your leadership and and it shows you care. It's just not an ordinary game, anyways. And and uh, that yeah, I really like that. Very good. Hey, that is the end of our fourth quarter. We're going to head to the post game, but first we want to hear from Matt Kearns in PQ2 LLC. Hey, ref, good game. When a coach or player acknowledge your effort at the end of a contest, it can make the difference between a fun ride home or one where you're questioning every call you made in total silence. In business, it's no different when the customer values your performance and takes the time to let you know. Visit www.pq-2.com forward slash about to read customer testimonials and then call us at 330-888-9448 to discuss your next plastic application needs. Never ride home wondering if you made the right call. Our post game begins, and this is uh, really another one of my favorite parts. We talk about the brotherhood and sisterhood of officiating. You know, we have either the drives to the games or the post game destinations, the, uh, the drives home to talk about the game. Talk a little bit about some examples of that brother and sisterhood of officiating. Well, I can tell you the years that I wasn't able to officiate when I was pregnant, I didn't miss the games. I missed the camaraderie amongst us officials. Yep. Um, Probably I, Ken Rockhold is my basketball dad. Mm -hmm. I go to him with pretty much all of my life questions. Um, and <laughs> how it came about was because, you know, as I started having kids, I didn't want to miss their stuff. So I would ask my husband, I really don't want to work this game and miss a choir, you know, a play or something. And he's like, why do you keep asking me this? Just call your basketball dad, Ken. So <laughs> that's how Ken got the nickname. And, um, it's funny because over the last year with COVID and everyone under the amount of stress we've been under, we started, he lives on a golf course, so it's, it's outdoors. And in the summer, uh, we would socially distance and there's a group of probably like five or six of us. And I don't know if you've ever read the book Tuesdays with Maury. I have not. Nope. Well, I had to read it in nursing school and I love it, but I call our get togethers with Ken and Jane Fridays with rock because <laughs> we all sit out on outside and we watch the sunset, you know, we watch the sunset go down, we have pizza, we drink a few beverages, we watch the, you know, the people golf. It It is so relaxing at the end of the work week. And most of the time, we don't even talk about officiating. Um, I'm the only female there, but the other guys that are there, they're like, they're like my dads too. And they love to talk about the Indians and other stuff I really don't understand. I just go there for the company. I like to talk to Jane and some of the other, um, some of the wives go there, but I really do call it Fridays with rock because you just, you learn life lessons and, and that's what it's about. When I retire from officiating and I decide, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to rem be remembered for how many state tournament games I had. I just want to be remembered as a good person, somebody who would do anything for anybody if they needed it. And that's it. And that's what Fridays with rock is all about. Well, for those of you who don't know, Ken was our guest last week. And so if you haven't had a chance to check out the interview with Ken, go ahead and, and do so. Ken is everything that April is saying that he is. It was a, a really good interview, and he had a lot of interesting stories as well. Speaking of Ken, and maybe he hasn't given this to you, maybe he did, but what's the best advice you have ever received from an official? 
Well, it's definitely from Ken. Yep. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a couple. Um, always be honest. Never, never, never lie. You will always get caught. Um, it's just not worth it. Be honest up front. Even if there are consequences, just, you know, take the consequences and move on. Um, family first, you know, don't, you don't want to look back and regret missing your kids stuff. You know, I have three children and they're very, very active. They do many, many sports. And there has been only been one time where Ken told me I could not get off a game. I had to work the game. Um, that I, you know, I had to have my husband go to my kid's thing, but he is always an advocate. He's like, why are you even calling me? Why are you worrying about this? Like your kids come first. And it's so true because the years do go so fast. Yeah, they really do. And it's kind of a, a nice little segue into the next question, which is about family life. You know, I, I know you had married your high school sweetheart. You have three children of your own. So talk a little bit about officiating and family life, how you've been able to balance life between home life and officiating life. Well, it's definitely, you know, it's hard, especially with with my job. I've only recently, I've become the manager. I'm going on my sixth year now. So, you know, I would say I'm in the back nine of my officiating years. You know, um, I still... I still do about two to three a week, but one thing that has really evolved over the last year is my 11 year old loves basketball and she asks to go to some of my games. So it is a bonding experience. Um, when you're 11, it's a really big deal if I give her $10 and she can get whatever she wants from the concession stand. <laughs> so, um, I usually, I let her take one friend and they get to sit in the stands and eat whatever snacks they want. And, they, you know, they just talk about the game all the way on the way home. And I will never forget. I had an, I had a nurse that worked for me and her dad was an official who I know. And she shared with me the one time in the lunchroom that some of her greatest memories growing up were going to her dad's games on Friday night and sitting behind the scorer's table. And I tell you, this must've been about eight or nine years ago. She told me the story and I have never, ever forgotten it. And it's, very awesome to be able to experience this now with my kids and it is my hope that someday when my 11 year old as she continues to play that she will take officiating up and we'll be able to work a game together oh that'd be really special wouldn't that be neat yeah absolutely that's what i'm holding on still i'm holding out for hope that she will do that i've got about six more years left (laughs) (laughs) hey that's the end of our post game we're going to head to the five quick decisions we'll be right back Hey Ref, PQ2 LLC is proud to be the thermoplastic resin company that dares to be different. Call Matt Kearns at 330-888-9448 and ask what makes PQ2 LLC different. Officials cite relationships within the community of basketball officials as a huge reason why we take the floor each game night year after year. PQ2 LLC brings the same passion you have in the locker room to every client relationship we've built over the years. Our five quick decisions closes out this wonderful podcast with April Largent. And uh, so first thing we talk about is the great food at times that we receive after a ball game. And so let me ask you this. Uh, what is your favorite food that you've received from the schools after a ball game? 
by far, there's not even a competitor, is classic in the country and the dinner that they provide to you from Amish country. It is awesome. Oh, yeah. That, that's got about everything there. Plus, are there homemade desserts there, too? Homemade desserts, a cheese wheel that you get your own cheese off of. I mean, you name it, it is there. It is homemade. The hospitality is wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, that sounds like something I'd like to go to. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> if there's one rule you could change in high school, what would it be? Oh, gosh. This probably won't be very popular, but I would like to not be the uniform police anymore. Oh, um, thank you. Between headbands and wristbands and sleeves and waist logos, I, I just want to go there and ref the game. But I know it's part of our job to enforce the rules, so I do. But that would be one thing. And the other would be, I know coaches aren't going to like this, but to have them sit during the games. Oh, wow. I kind of like that one, too. I mean, you, you can coach sitting or standing, and I, I think it would be great if we tried it one year. <laughs> What do you think is the most misunderstood rule from fans and coaches? Oh, only because I have a big kid myself is over the back. Yep. Because it's not over the back. Um, that and three seconds, people don't seem to understand that either. Right. Uh, funniest thing that a player or a coach ever said to you? Okay, so I actually have two. The first one, um, I took my my husband doesn't go to my games really anymore because he always seems to he can't listen to people, you know, talking bad about me, whatever. <laughs> so he went to a game and uh, he got he got into words with another parent, and Larry Nance happened to be sitting next to him, and he told my husband, he goes, "Listen, if you get in a fight with that guy, can I at least hold your baby?" Because he had my one year old at the game, so that was funny. <laughs> And then um, we're talking Larry Nance here, the former NBA player, right? Correct, because his daughter, um, I think her name was Casey. She did play, you know, before she. I think she's a coach now, but I refereed her when she played. So he okay. was at the game, and my husband happened to be there, sitting next to him wow. with our world. So <laughs> that was it. And then you know, um, before I, I don't really do a lot of uh, men's games anymore, just because I don't need the extra headache because. One time when I was working a men's game, a boys varsity game, a dad yelled loud enough so that I can hear. And he said, why don't you go back into the kitchen? Oh, oh, oh. so I took a second and then I turned to him and I said, you've never had my cooking. And I ran off down the court. <laughs> Very good. Good response. Well done. I think, uh, I think I've had a lot of fun here. How about you? I did this. I'm glad I prepared myself, though, because I had, you know, it would have been, it would not be easy if I, if I had to wing it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, I want to thank April Argent for uh, uh, being a guest today on the High School Basketball Referee Podcast with Mark Fralick. Um, I'll be quite honest with you, April, when I was making a list of some of the officials that I wanted to interview, uh, you were at the top of my list. I was, I was looking forward to not only talking to you about um, your job but also talking to you about basketball officiating. So I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us. We, we extended this a little bit longer because I think it's important to have people understand what you've had to deal with. So thank you for all that you've done as a nurse, and thank you for all that you're doing as a high school basketball official. 
Well, thank you for having me. I'm very humbled. As I told you earlier, I, I had no idea why you wanted to talk to me because I think I have a boring life, but <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to share my experiences. And I hope that I've made the difference in someone's life listening. And that closes another episode of the High School Basketball Referee with Mark Fraley podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Until next time, have a great day. Brighten someone's day with a smile. And God bless.